Okay, so let's look at these, the ones, all right? And, and we'll go to 1 Corinthians for several verses of scripture right here. And, and, and we, we find ourselves right here in the middle of verses 9, 10, and 11. Paul writes, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Okay, don't get upset. I'm not calling you unrighteous. All right, hang on here. All right. He says, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now that sounds like a big downer, doesn't it? And I mean like, all right, now God's, you know, he's just putting us down. We're not, this, these aren't going, these aren't going, these aren't going. And we, we know our past, right? And so we're looking back and we kind of think that. But he says, and some of you used to be like this. That's what Paul says. And now he, now he just points the finger. Some of you used to be like this. And I can see some of those pastors I grew up under. I, you know, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I can see pointing their finger at the church, you know, and saying, some of you, yeah. I remember I was serving, in, uh, serving as youth pastor at a church one, one place. I won't tell you where it's at here in the state of Alabama. But one, one Sunday morning, some of, some of my teenagers on, on the back couple of rows, they were, we had a little bit of a balcony that kind of over, hung over, you know, so it, so it kind of made it a little darker there than everywhere else, you know. And so they kind of thought they could get away with a little bit more than everybody else. That's why they like to sit back there. They get away with a little bit more. And they, they began to kind of act up a little bit in the service, you know, and thinking nobody was watching. And, and the pastor got up and he got ready to preach. And, you know, and, and he, he said, you know, this is awesome to be in the presence of God, isn't it? And people said, Amen. He said, it's awesome to be in the presence of God. I'd rather be here than the best jail in America. And several people said, amen. He said, and he pointed back there to the, he said, but some of you in that back row, that's exactly where you're going to be if you don't start acting right. Now, we don't have that kind of an attitude really here, or hope not, but it almost sounds like that's what Paul says. That's who some of you were. I mean, look, that, that, that describes who some of you were. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, that's who some of you were. 315 killed by it, all right. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who some of us were. What an amazing word, were. That's where God found us, not where God finds us today, but that's where God found us. That's who we were, but we no longer are. You see, we used to be the nuns and the duns, but thank God, by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ today, we're the ones. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We're the ones. We're the ones God has called to reach the nuns and duns. That's, that's, that's what God has called us to do because we understand who they are. We understand what their life is like because we've been there. We know what it means to be a nun or to be a dun. And so now that we're the ones, God has called us to now reach back to be those, uh, to reach those, uh, those nuns and duns. That's who God has called us to reach. So let's talk a little bit about who we are. And first of all, I'm going to begin there uh, with, uh, with those three things in uh, chapter 6, in, in verse 11 there at the end, that we were washed, sanctified, and justified. The ones are the change. Okay, listen, you cannot change, and this may be one of those duh statements, right? You know, well, duh. It, it may be one of those statements, but you cannot change anyone unless you have been changed. 
You can't tell anybody how to get somewhere unless you've been there yourself. Now you can look it up, you know, you can search Google Maps, you can get some directions, but sometimes those don't work. I mean, any, anybody besides me ever gotten lost using Google directions? Because I mean, it, it's, not, it's not exact, unless you've been there. Now if you've been there though, you know what you can do? You know, if you've been somewhere, it's like I give, I've, I give people directions to my house. I don't tell, give them the address, you know, on Pearl Lane. I don't give them the address. You know, I, I tell them about, it's the first road to the left. I tell them about I'm driving up. I tell them it's the only greenhouse. It's sitting in the middle. I mean, I, I, I can give them some landmarks because I've been there. You know what I'm saying? You, you've got to be changed to be able to help someone else change. You've got to have been there to help someone get there and for, for change to take place in somebody's life. And for you to be used in that way, you've got to also be changed. In Acts chapter three, verse 19, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. You know what repent means? You know what repent means? Okay, every six-year-old believes repent means saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry, daddy, right? That's what we, that's what we believe repent means. But repent doesn't mean saying, I'm sorry, because a lot of times, what do you do when you're saying you're sorry? You're just saying, I'm sorry I got caught, right? Not, not really sorry for what I've done. I, I was reading a, a pastor's uh, article a couple of weeks ago, a pastor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ricky Jones, I believe was his name. And he said, he, he said stop apologizing to God and start repenting. There's a difference Repenting is not apologizing. Repenting is, the word is right there in, in Acts chapter three, verse 19. Repent of your sins and turn. That's what repent actually means. Repent means a turning or it means a changing. And, and you can't help someone change alive. Listen, you know, I, I, I'm not encouraging you today to be used of God to get somebody to sit on one of our chairs on Easter Sunday morning. That's not the goal. That's just the beginning of the goal. What we want to see is we want people to actually have the true life change that we've had in our lives because the things that changes our character. Now, sometimes, some people might think this is backwards, that you change your actions and then you change your belief and then you change your character. That's backwards. That's what a lot of people try to do is they start trying to change their actions and the way they do things and then thinking, well, that's going to also change my beliefs. No, you've got it backwards. God changes our character for us. He changes who we are on the inside and then because of that, it begins, to, it begins to overtake the rest of us because he changes our heart and washes us and, and he sanctifies us and justifies us. He changes our character and because he's changed our character, now all of a sudden our beliefs begin to change and now we can believe things that, that the nuns and the duns can't believe, that we cannot believe when we were nuns and duns. We begin to believe, we can believe those kinds of things and then also our actions begin to change. And we, cannot, and we cannot help someone change their acts unless we've also changed our actions. We've got to believe God for more than just grace to get here on Sunday morning. I mean, some of you single moms out there, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a special move of God's grace to get you here on Sunday morning. Amen. I mean, you know, I, I know some of you would say that, right? I mean, some of you, even two parents, mom and dad, you know, you got three or four kids. It, it's a special work of God's grace some, some Sundays just to get you here. But that's not the goal. The goal is for your life to change. The goal is for things to be different. The goal is for your marriage to be, to marriage to be full. The goal is, is for your relationships to be real. The goal is for, uh, for your problems and your struggles and your battles to be won, to, for you to have victories instead of defeats from this point on. The goal is for true life change. And not until you have it can you begin to give it to somebody else. Doesn't mean you ever get, I probably need to say this, doesn't mean you ever get to a place where you never 
you never have to work on anything because I guess there's probably only one, there's probably only one class of people that we really don't welcome to come to church 2911. Did y'all know there was one class of people that aren't welcome at 2911? Yeah, perfect people. We don't invite perfect people here because you don't need us. You don't need God. You don't need church. You don't need relationships. You don't need fellowship with other Christians. You don't need to read the Bible if you're perfect. So only imperfect people are welcome at 2911. If you're imperfect, please hang around and stay because we believe God wants to change your life into something much more beautiful than you can be. Not... You, I'm not, I'm not selling it short, saying that you can't have a perfect marriage. You can't have and raise awesome kids. You can't have, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you might not be perfect, but God can do perfect in you if you'll believe him to. And because we've been changed and because we see this, wow, this change, it makes us want to also change others. And so we have, we have been given a, a specific ministry. The ones, uh, the ones are the reconcilers, okay? We've been given this specific ministry. This is 2 Corinthians. Uh, the very same church that Paul wrote to that we were reading a few moments ago, he writes another letter called 2 Corinthians. This is in, you know, about halfway through in the, in, in the fifth chapter as is, is he's talking to them again. And he, and, he, and he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Look at it with me, verse 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about change, Right? He, he's talking about how we change. We have changed. Okay, we don't just change just for the sake of, wow, I've got a great life now. You know, God has really helped me. You know, my, my health is a lot better. And my relationships are better. My marriage is stronger. My kids are, are, are more obedient and, and my finances are put together. And that's wonderful. But that's not the end of it. All of that has changed, yet all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First of all, the first part of that, uh, of that sentence right there, that he reconciled us to himself. Uh, you, you may have heard sermons preached about how you need to be saved from your sins so you don't have to go to hell one day, right? There's a heaven and there's a hell at the end of this life. And, and you may have heard those sermons, but listen, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to save you from hell. He died on the cross to save you to himself. You know, my mom and dad, when they gave me rules and, and, and they gave me guidance and when they punished me for doing wrong and, and tried to, it wasn't because they just didn't want me to go to jail. They wanted me to, to have a good long life and to have a relationship with them. They wanted me to be around. They didn't want me to be in jail or me to be in a grave somewhere. It's that they wanted me to be with them. Jesus didn't die just so you wouldn't have to go to hell. He died so you could be with him, so he could be with you. He, was, he died to reconcile us back to himself. That's why we don't point the finger and say, you know, and get into the condemnation. I know I preached the, about the condemnation thing last week, so I don't want to go there too far, but I mean, that's, this is the reason. It's because when I start preaching condemnation to you, then boom, I'm going to get hit with it too because there is none that is perfect, the Word of God says. No, not one. That is, as a matter of fact, all of our righteousnesses, they are as filthy right. Every attempt we can have in our own, in our own selves to try and be righteous is as filthy rags. Our, our, our great actions come from a change of belief and a change of character that God gives us when he washes us from sin, and so, washes us from sin with his blood. And, and, and so, so when we begin to understand that, we realize God has not reconciled us just away from hell. He is not just saving us from hell, but he's reconciling us to, her, to himself. And when we understand that, our message to the world changes. You know, this 
<laughs> I don't know why this keeps coming up about the past month, about four or five times. But, and I've actually seen, I don't know, I, I thought this was gone, but it's still around. I saw somebody holding a sign just a couple of weeks ago on TV, uh, some, some protest, and it said, turn or burn. Y'all ever heard that one, turn or burn, you know? And you, you, better, you better go to church or the devil's gonna get you. That's one of the signs somebody mentioned down on 65, you know, go to church or the devil's gonna get you. It's all about the devil and it's all about, and it's all a negative religion and a negative preaching, but there's so much more than just being delivered from your sin. There is new life, there is joy, there is power, there is strength, there is wonder, there is glory, there is amazement that God wants to bring into your life. But you gotta get beyond just, just, just accepting the forgiveness so you don't have to go to hell one day. No, he did more than that. He brings us to reconciliation with himself. And because of that, he also gives us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm sorry, back up, because I gotta read the rest of, that, uh, the rest of that, those verses. I haven't read them yet. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's who the ones are. The ones have the ministry of reconciliation. Nobody else is gonna do it. The Kiwanis Club is not going to reconcile people back to God. The, 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 the Little League ballpark, they're not going to reconcile. We, the ones, we have been given the reconciliation ministry to bring people back in relationship with God. That's our calling. And, and, and Paul goes on to say, and, and, and when we begin doing this, we're like his ambassadors in that God, it's like God is making the appeal straight through us. Hear what he's saying is that when we begin to appeal to others and try to bring them to God, God gets in the middle of it. And it's not just us, but it is God that is actually making the appeal through us. That there is a, there's a supernatural thing going on there. When you open your mouth, you're, you're saying words, well, I, I hadn't thought about saying that, and then boom, all of a sudden something comes out, like where'd that come from? It came from God because God begins making the appeal through you but we have to open our mouths and let that happen. Okay, so let, let me go on. Here's a quick one, is that the ones show mercy, okay? And you know why the ones show mercy? Matthew chapter five, verse seven says, blessed are, are those who, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's kind of like a, uh, like a merry-go-round, you know, it just keeps going around and around and around. It's when you show mercy, then you get mercy. And when you get mercy, it makes you want to show more mercy, and you show more mercy, and you get mercy. And it's kind of like this, and you just get mercy and mercy. Here's the thing, is, is, back to that condemnation just a little bit, is, is I know that if I give you condemnation, I have to receive condemnation because I'm not righteous either. But because I've received mercy, I want to give mercy. It's because I realize my sins were washed away. I mean, there, is, there, there really should be no con condemnation from any Christian whatsoever. And, and so some people I know, one of the reasons you may think that God can't use you to change someone's life is because you're thinking of all those things all these people are doing wrong. You know, let me tell you, did somebody show up at your door and give you a list of five things you're doing wrong and that's what really made you decide that you would follow after God? Probably not. But when somebody told you, listen, I was a nun or I was a dun, or maybe not those words, but I was this way and this way and this way and I had this and this and, and yet God, and now, and then say, here's not the end result because God's not finished with it, but here's what God is doing. That's the kind of story that makes someone say, I wanna let God do the same thing in my life not because I'm doing all these things wrong. And, and so when I realize what God has forgiven me of, it makes me say, I don't want to point any fingers. I don't want to cast any stones. 
because I don't want them bouncing back on me. I don't, I don't, you know, God is not making me pay for my sin. I don't want them to have to pay for their sin because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. And so the, the ones, are, they're showers of mercy. They give mercy freely because they have been given mercy. And also in the same way, uh, the ones are givers. And they are givers because they have been given so much. If you're one of the ones, you naturally will be a giver because you have been given so much, because you've been forgiven so much. Romans chapter 12, verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Man, that's that's laying it on thick. I don't know if you you recognize that that kind of language, but that's laying it on thick. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What does that mean to be a living sacrifice? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable in the Greek, it can also be translated logical. So here's what he's saying. Those of you who have accepted Christ's death on the cross as forgiveness of your sins, it is logical because you have, because you have accepted his death sacrifice for your sin. It is logical for you then to give your life as a daily sacrifice to him. Is that not logical? If he died for me, I should be able to live for him. That's what it's saying. He's saying, come on, I beseech you. If he died for you, you can live for him. And you don't have to, but when you accept this, that's what you're saying. It's my reasonable service. It's logical. Here's what Martin Luther said. You know Martin Luther, the guy who wrote the 95 Theses out and, and nailed them to the church front door, you know, and said, so here's the problem I've got. We're, you know, we're, we're getting into too much of, you know, legalism as far as you do this and you do this and you do this and this is what God counts to you as righteousness. He said, and he says, no, look, we're, we're no longer under that. We're under grace by faith. Now, this was the man who preached grace by faith. Okay, and, and he says, he's, okay, now he's saying it's not works that gets you saved. And he says it's grace by faith, but look at what he also said. He said a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. So this man that said, yeah, you get salvation for free, but if your religion doesn't make you want to do something else, then it's not worth a whole lot, is it? It's not worth a whole lot. And so there is something else. In Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, Jesus calls Matthew. He finds Matthew, who is a tax collector, sitting at his table collecting taxes. Jesus walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. He called him. Now, you, you might remember other times that when, when Christ was called into disciples, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Here he says to Matthew, he says, follow me and be my disciple. The call of God is not follow me, is not uh, come to me for a few moments and I'll, I'll save you from hell. The message is follow me. In the words follow me, it says there are, that, that tells me there are steps to take. Don't come meet me for a 15 minute prayer at the end of service today. Follow me. There are steps to take. There are actions that, when he says, be my disciple, Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you things. I'm going to act in a certain way to people around me. And when I do, you're going to, by be my disciple, you're going to learn how to treat other people. And so there are actions of Christ that need to be duplicated in our life when we become this. So the call of God is to not just come and be with him for a little while on Sunday morning. 
It's not to pray a prayer every once in a while during the day. It's not to, you know, ask the blessing, you know, over your bowl of cereal in the morning and say, and God, for all the other problems I got the rest of the day, just handle them for me. That's not the call of God. The call of God is to follow. That means put your feet in some specific steps and to be discipled. That means to watch who he is and to duplicate that. To ask the question. You remember years ago, the, all the, the, the wristbands, what would Jesus do? It means to ask that question. All through your life is what would Jesus be doing right now if he had this problem today? And I know what some people think as they say, now, man, now you're saying, you're saying that you gotta work to be a Christian. No, you, you can be saved, it's for free. But if you wanna be the ones, yeah. There's some sleeves that have to be rolled up. Y'all know what that is, right? It means that's a euphemism for getting to work, right? Okay. I don't know if you, that's an old one, but it's, it's still around. Roll your sleeves up, it's time to get to work. Can I tell you something? 2911 is not here today changing lives like you've seen these stories because of a bunch of lazy, skin flint, cheap people and members. But it's because of them. Have you heard, have you heard the story of the well that 2911 dug right, at, right after it was launched, a well that 2911 dug in, in Romania? Have you heard the story about then, a couple of years later, about the orchard that 2911 planted in Romania? For the, for the orphanage that was there? Have you heard the story? Have you heard about the, the, the very first, you, you, well, look, you need to see Shannon Harbin, our, our missions team skipper, and just ask her. She, or I, either one of us, we'll be glad to tell you the whole story. Or, or, the, or the story of our very first missions trip up to South Dakota and the Native American ministry that is, that, uh, that is taking place there and how, how, how we were involved in that. And really when they were just getting that started, before they really were on the reservation and and. It's not something we've done, but it's something that we've helped with. You need to see Cliff and Sharon. Their son is the one that's leading that. And have you, have you heard these stories or benevolence? Now, let, let me get on to some of you about your benevolence. Now, this past Christmas, we had this, uh, this angel, angel tree kind of a thing back there, and we had all these gifts that people could buy for some of, the, some of the needy that we had found in the community. And some of you broke the rules. You broke the rules. Because we gave you a list of one or two things that you needed to buy, and you went out and you bought a whole bunch of stuff and brought it back to give to those kids. You broke the rules. But that's the heart of a giver. A giver that says, I, I can't just buy this because my kids are getting so much. I've been given so much. I mean, that's, that's the feeling, isn't it? It's, it's, how can I buy a, a doll or a, or a truck? How can I buy one little thing for a kid when, when I look at my own kids or my own grandkids and I see how much that we have been blessed? How can I not be a blessed? That's what it means to be one of the ones. And 2911 is here today, not, not, just, not just because we're doing that, and God, but because God says, you know, when we dug that well, and there's a whole lot of story you need to hear behind this, but when we dug that well, God spoke to people and said, because you were a well to people in Romania, I'm going to also make you a well here in this area. And that's the reason people's lives are being changed. It's because, it's because we didn't say, hey, God, save us, and we want it to be cheap, but we said, God, the ones are those who roll up their sleeves and open their wallet and say, this is where God put me. This is my church. This is what I believe in, and I'm rolling up my sleeves, and I'm opening up my wallet, and we're going to make this thing happen because God has given us the call to reach the nuns and the dines. That's what it means. That's what it means to be the ones, and that's who you are. Every one of you that, that, that has worked or that has, that has paid your tithes, I mean, you're sitting in a rented chair today because somebody paid their tithes. 
You're listening to uh, awesome worship today because somebody paid their tithes. All of these things that happened, and, and somebody said just, and, and it, you know, this is kind of where we, I got to really hurry here, but it's kind of where we are. We're growing a lot. We're getting a lot of new people in. And you know what happens? That kind of begins to eat up your budget because when you get new people in, they're kind of still checking things out. Here's what I'm saying to you. If, you, if you're done checking us out and say, this is who I am, roll up your sleeves. We got a place for you to serve and for you to be involved so that, so that the next time I preach this kind of message, you can't just look around at others and say, yeah, they really were good in doing that. You can say, hey, I'm a part of that. You need to be a part of that. And somebody said, you know, if, if, if everybody paid tithes, there is, there is nothing that we could dream that we couldn't do. If everyone will, will, will decide, you know, if this, and, and listen, if this isn't, you've heard me say this before, if this isn't the church that cranks your tractor and says, I want to be, because of what they're doing and the lives that they're changing, I want to be a part of it. If, that, if this isn't it, then go find that church because you need to be in a place that you say, this is what God has called me to do, where you roll up your sleeves and you open your wallet and you get involved and you begin to make lives change in your communities. You need to be there. You need to experience the joy, the satisfaction that God has called you to bring true life change into somebody else's life. Uh, I, I, I got to hurry. This one will be quick right here. The, the ones, they brag. They brag. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this real quick, but in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The reason you need to be bragging on Jesus, bragging on your church, you hear me say this around here, everyone deserves to attend a church they brag about. You need to attend a church that you brag about. And if you're not bragging about a church, if you attend a church you're not bragging about, either you're lazy and you really just don't want to be involved, you just like to enjoy the church part, or it's just not your thing. And you need to go find that church that is your thing. Ooh, that's scary, Pastor. Uh, we've said that now for almost six years. You need to be at a place that you brag about. Let me tell you why. It's because Jesus didn't come. He didn't die for a five-minute prayer on a Sunday morning. This, this Easter, I pray that dozens of your friends and family members come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he did not die for that prayer at the end of that Easter sermon. That's not why he died. He died to spend time with him. Revelation 3.20 says it. He says, if you open the door to me, he said, I'm coming in. I'm coming in to eat with you. I'm coming in to dine with you. I'm coming in to fellowship with you. I'm coming in to be involved in your life. That's why you need to be bragging on God and your church, out in the community, at school, wherever you're at. You need to be, bra you need to be telling people that I don't have a God for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. I have a God who's with me every day. I have a God who walks with me in all of my problems. I have a God who comes in and, and fellowships with me and wants to know my problems and wants to know my fears. And then he's given me this great group of people who also want to be a part of my life. And they ask me how my week's been. And, and, and when I tell them it's been bad, they, want, they say they're going to pray for me. And, and I've got their cell phone number. I can text them or I'm friends with them on Facebook. And, and you need to be sharing this so that the world knows that God is not just a one hour and 15 minute God on Sunday morning. He's a God every single moment of your life. He's there. He's waiting. And that's, that's why we need to be bragging on God. La last thing is the ones are outside focused. Carrie Newhoff wrote this in, in an article. And all I have time really to share with you is this, this part of this last thing about being outside focused. 
Churches that become passionate about people outside their walls will be far more effective than churches that are passionate about keeping the few people they have inside their walls. Stop right there. Don't keep reading. Stop right there. Stay with me right here. That's what I just told you. We're not passionate about keeping people in our place. We're passionate about keeping people in God's place. And if God gets a thousand people saved here Easter Sunday morning, but he's got another place for them to serve, that's God's doing, not ours. What we're passionate about is we're passionate about reaching the nuns and the duns. If we reach the nuns and the duns and we disciple them up to a place and God calls them to be missionaries in another part of the world, that's God's doing. That's not ours. Our calling is to reach them and disciple them and love them to the place of, to the place of maturity that God can use them. So our focus has always been out there. I mean, you know, there, every church says we want to reach the lost. We want to reach the hurting. We want to reach church 2911 calls that our vision. Our vision is to engage the people of our communities with a special emphasis toward the unchurched, the nuns, and the de-churched, the duns. That's our vision. That's our purpose. That's what God has called us to do. That's why God is blessing us. That's why God is changing lives. And so if you, if, 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 we've got to make sure we stay focused on this because if we don't continue to focus on the outside, if we don't continue to focus on those who aren't yet sitting here today, we'll lose the blessing that God has given to us as a church. He goes on. Better, sti uh, better still, you will have a healthier church. If you do that, you'll have a healthier church. It'll be healthy, okay? Because we call individuals who are fixated on their wants and needs selfish and immature. Now, stop there a minute. He's talking about the world. He's not saying that God calls people that or that the Bible calls people that or that the church calls people that. The world says people who are fixated on their wants and needs, they are selfish and immature. We all say that. We know that. But sometimes we get in church. I've past, I pastored there, okay? We get into church and it's all about us. But you've heard around 2911, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about who we are. We already know who we are. It's about reaching those out there. And the people that are fixated on their stuff, they are immature and selfish. That's what the world says, and it's true out there, and it's true in here. When we get fixated on our stuff and our needs, then we're selfish and immature. Selfless and mature churches will have an impact because of their passion for the people God cares about. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about 2911. The miracle of what God has done, we're gonna celebrate in two weeks our sixth anniversary on Easter Sunday morning. The miracle of what God has done is 2911. And these lives that God is changing hasn't happened because of some of the rules we follow or some of the things we do. Or, and even though there's a lot of stuff that's important, and I don't call any of them out because I don't want you to think they're not important anymore, they're, but it's because of that thing he says right there. Because we're selfless and mature, because we have a passion for the people God cares about. Who are those people? I told you very first sermon, we've repeated it every sermon in this series. The hurting, the struggling, the lonely, the disconnected, the confused, the broken and the lost, those. Because as long as we continue to care about them, what is, what is, Kerry Newhoff says, and this, this is one of the church growth gurus guy, I and mean, he's a pastor too, he says, those churches will have impact impact. It means they will change lives. And you know, that's not just true for churches, it's true for people. Stop focusing always on your selfish needs and your wants. 
and start finding somebody to focus on that is hurting, struggling, lonely, disconnected, confused, broken, or lost. And God will let you have that impact. The pastor's praying over you this year that you learn what it's like to see somebody's life change. Would you stand with me, please? And I'd like to invite you to come join us at the front for the close. If you're a first-time attender, and we have several first-time attenders with us today, we'd love to have you join us at the front. We'd just like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. And, and, uh, and we've got one, one more special little thing we've got to do this morning here at the front, but we don't do anything weird up here. We just like to have that final prayer and final time together just right up here. And we invite you to join us if you, if you feel, feel comfortable doing so. Y'all squeeze in from the side there. It's like everybody's sat on the edge today for some reason. So thank you. Y'all walk this way two steps. Thank y'all. Amen. Prayer team members, let me ask you this. Throw your hand, raise your hand. Prayer team members, raise your hand. Y'all see those hands? Look around. Everybody, please, just humor me. Look around. Y'all see a hand up? Yeah. Those are prayer team members. They've also got a card around here. We've got the cards on, hanging around people's necks, so if you want prayer, you don't accidentally go up and ask the janitor for prayer you know, here at the Civic Center. You know that that's a person that's actually on the prayer team. Uh, so we, we do that on purpose, all right, because they, you know, just like the janitor, would be totally blown away if you ask him for prayer this morning, right? These people were expecting you to ask them for prayer. They're here. They want, they want to pray for you and whatever your needs are. Some of you are sick. Some of you have surgeries coming up. Some of you have family needs what, that... Listen, ask that prayer team. Go find a prayer team member before you get away, okay? Here, let me, let me say this real quick. Next week is a very special service, communion. Very special. Please, if, you, if at all possible, I don't want you to miss this. This is going to be awesome. And then the following week is Easter, okay? Let me, let me tell you, you've got three things. You've got three things. You've got means, motive, and opportunity. You all know what that is, right? From an earlier sermon in this series, so I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but I want to tell you this. You've got means. You've got two services on Easter to get somebody here. You know, if they say, oh, that's too late, say, wait a minute, we got a nine o'clock. That's too early. Wait, we got 1030. That's two and a half hours after you have to be at work and all your kids have to be at school and all that, you know, so surely you can make 1030, right? And then, by, you know, or come to the nine o'clock and I'll take you out to eat afterwards and we'll beat all the Baptists and Methodists to the restaurants or whatever, you know, so you get, we got more room. You see, we're doing this because if all of our people show up, we don't have enough chairs out for all of our people. So that means if we don't add another service, we're telling we're, we're telling you, don't bring anybody. But we're telling you, bring somebody. So we've got to give you a seat. So we're giving, make more room. We're also giving you options on Easter. You can beat, if, you, if, you, if you, you're one of those families that likes to go out to eat, come to the 9 o'clock service, and you can beat everybody else at the restaurants. You can do that. Okay, uh, you have means, you have motive. Let me, let me give you this real quick. There should be an urgency about us because this world is changing so fast. People's lives change just like that. Do you, do you know that 720 people will be sexually abused before, before this time tomorrow in 24 hours? See, li people's lives change. And when things like that happen to people, their whole perspective of everything going on changes. That, that you, over 100 people will die in a car accident in the next 24 hours. Over 2,000 people will be reported missing in the next 24 hours. You see, you see, and so when we say, well, we've got time to invite... We just never know how much time we have because it's not just that bad things happen to people. Sometimes people make bad decisions that get in the way of them being able to do, to do something with their life. In the next 24 hours, 11 people will commit suicide. And many, many more will make the attempt. And when you, when you attempt to commit suicide, you have made some choices that are life-altering. 
All of a sudden, things are, to- when, you try- when you try to commit suicide, things are-, things are totally different. Dozens of people will cheat on their spouse for the very first time in the next 24 hours. Dozens and dozens of people will cheat for the, and when you make those kinds of choices, it's life-altering. And so when we say, no, I can invite somebody, we never know what kind of life choices or life events are going to happen that that are going to change. Did you know that in the next 24 hours, over 5,000 people will try marijuana for the very first time? For the very first time. So we have an urgency about us, and here's the urgency, is that we want all those people, that 817 plus, we want them to be able to stand here and enjoy the presence of God like we do. Amen? Before they, before they get to a place or a point of no return, before they get to that life-altering event or decision that they've made and they made the wrong one, and now it's like they got to dig up from another 10 feet lower than they were before we... Right now, we have an urgency, so we have a motive, and we have opportunity. That Easter service is an opportunity. You might not realize this, but your unsaved friends and family members actually expect you to invite them to Easter service. Did you know that? They actually expect it. They, your coworkers, people you go to school with, they really expect Christians to invite them to church on Easter because they don't go to church. They expect that. So you have opportunity. Just open your mouth. It's awesome to stand in the presence of God. But more than anything, I want to see those 817 standing in the presence of God too. Amen. Jamie, go ahead when you can. Let's bow. Let's pray.